This is Learn It From An 80s Song. I am your coach, Patricia Freiberg. This is I Love the 80s meets the healing of storytelling and the positive impact of music. Inspiring guests share their powerful stories, yielding incredible strengths. Through both story and music, this podcast will elevate your mood, providing you with a positive outlook. It will ignite recall so that you can tap into your own life experiences. We don't just hear the knowledge and wisdom gained from our podcast guests. Through powerful story, we can live it. Today, we have a very special guest. Please welcome Dr. Melissa Sussman. Dr. Sussman is an adjunct professor. She's an author and a leadership coach. Melissa is a proud U.S. Navy veteran. She has two adult children and four grandchildren. Melissa earned her master's degree in English from Eastern Washington University and her doctorate in leadership studies from Gonzaga University, where she is currently a member of the School of Leadership Advisory Board. Today, you will find Melissa running her own business in source coaching, where she's an executive and personal coach specializing in guiding clients through life transitions. In addition, she teaches online with Gonzaga University in the School of Leadership. Welcome, Melissa. It is so great to have you here with us today. Thank you for being here on the show. Thank you for having me. So uh, this is the part of the show where we have the big reveal as to what song we're going to be talking about today. So without further ado, can I get a drum roll, please? (laughs) Melissa. What song best resonates with the story you're going to tell us today? That would be St. Elmo's Fire. Woohoo! Great choice. (laughs) I listened to that song on repeat today, and it is just so inspiring. I love it. Great song choice. I love it, too. And I remember, actually, when the movie came out, it was the the newest rap pack. And that could have had something to do with my love of the song at the time, but not today. Yes. Well, that's, (laughs) that's great. And I went back a trip down memory lane because I go through the rabbit hole when I start going on Wikipedia and thank God for Wikipedia. So the song actually came out in was, it was recorded in 1984, but then was released in 1985. And it was for the film St. Elmo's Fire. And the song was written by both David Foster and John Parr. And what I learned about this song in the process was that the two of them were contacted to write the song for the film. And the two of them, especially John Parr, had really struggled with getting inspiration to write uh, an inspiring song for St. Elmo's Fire. Well, Foster, apparently, and this is all according to Wikipedia, showed Parr this uh, news clip from a Canadian athlete uh, named Rick Hansen. And so apparently Rick Hansen went around the world in a wheelchair 
to raise mm-hmm. awareness for spinal cord injuries. John Parr, when he saw it, was so inspired by this man, Rick Hansen, that he beca- that's how it became Man in Motion because the tour that uh, the athlete was on was called the Man in Motion Tour. So it's St. Elmo's Fire, in parentheses, Man in Motion. And so what was interesting was that the song is really inspired by and referenced with Hansen's journey and his story. However, the song really fit for St. Elmo's Fire as well. So the song just, it inspires hope and it is an incredible song. It's an amazing movie. Anyway, so that's just a little tidbit of information and Mm -hmm. I would love to hear uh, your story. I think what started this discussion that you and I have been having is a a blog that I wrote about my father when my father entered dialysis. And it kind of uh, shook me to the core, something that he experienced going through that process. And that was, uh, let's see, he was 84 when he started dialysis. That was a year ago, a little over a year ago. And if you know anyone who's gone through dialysis, it's such a transition of um, feeling horrible to entering dialysis and feeling really horrible for a little bit, and then eventually moving on into feeling good. And he was just starting and uh, of going through this process, and he was miserable. And I, I think I cried just about every day knowing what he was going through. The transition was really tough. And it made me think about what he was going through, it made me think about the change cycle. And so I decided to write about it in my blog, um, the change cycle as it related to uh, my father going through dialysis. So that's kind of how all of it started. But the revelation came when uh, after about the third week, he started to feel better. He had some difficulty. So not everybody goes through these challenges, but he had some difficulty. And after about the third week, he finally was able to settle into his chair and look around him because it, initially it was just so hard to be comfortable. But he looked around and he started to notice the people around him that were there. And he called me that afternoon and he said, you're not going to believe the the people that are there. There are 25 chairs. They're all full. And there are women and men and children and old people. He called himself old because (laughs) he's the old, he was the oldest one there. He said, there's people who are struggling financially. He said, you can tell they're just, you know, the way that they're clothed. He felt so bad. Then there's uh, affluent people. There were um, some athletes that came in there. And he says, I know there were Republicans. I think it was the clothing. And he said, (laughs) there were all kinds, motorcycle riders. And he said, all of these people. And I said, dad, you, you're, you've just labeled everyone who came in the, into the room. He said, well, that's, that's how I defined them when, when they came in. He said, but then I settled in and I said, but they all came through the same door that I did. And my father was a salesman. He was retired, of course, yeah. but he was a salesman. And he said, they all came through the same door I did. And they are all experiencing the same thing I am. We're all cold and we're all shivering and we're all cramping and uh, we're all sitting here for four and a half hours a day, 
three times a week. And it just settled in with me. And he said, we're all the same. Doesn't matter what you look like, what you've done, what your title was, how poor you are, how rich you are. And I cried even more. I was crying a lot during that time. And because that is what sunk in with me, a title achiever of my whole life. And then it's, it sank in that what I've spent my whole life chasing titles Mm -hmm. and darn near killing myself doing it. Right. And for what? Because deep down, really, we're all the same and titles, titles have an external meaning. And that we all at the end of the day are all human beings and we all experience pain and loss and the discomfort that your dad felt, you know, during dialysis. And so interesting to have that conversation um, that you had with him. That's just, and it's so, um, I think it speaks so much to this time right now as well, where we are in this pandemic. Definitely. And when I wrote with the change cycle, he did go out of that. I don't want anyone watching this thinking that dialysis is going to be so horrible because it does, you do cycle through a change. You know, he was through that first part of the change cycle, the first stage of, of uh, fear and loss and discouragement and all of that during the time that he called me. But he was just getting ready to um, go through the recognition and the understanding and that that's the pendulum swing swung for him. And he came out on the other side because now today, and this could be because he's a salesman, he goes in there and he says, I'm going to the office. He never calls it the dialysis center. It's in here. He says, I'm going to the office today. And he's been so healthy since he's gone. His blood is so healthy. His kidneys are doing great. And um, it's really prolonged his life. And he's, he's accepted it and he's acclimated a hundred percent. Yes. Yes. That's, I'm so glad to hear he's doing well. And that, you know, speaks to that community. You know, when you take away all of the things that we may carry around, be it titles, when we take all of those things away and we're there just with human beings and just together, like he describes, he's going to the office, he's going to see his, you know, his, his coworkers, you know, who are all going through the same thing, no matter where they came in from. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So good. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, I, I know you worked hard early on in life and if you wouldn't mind sharing some of your story. Chasing titles was, that sounds like a good title to a book. It does. But I, ch- I just was like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> we'll have it recorded. <laughs> we'll have it recorded. So you'll remember it. <laughs> you know, I, I spent so many years chasing titles and this goes from when I was a child and I was the youngest of, of three children and I idolized my sister and brother, but my sister, especially, I just wanted to be like her. And so I did everything that I could to try to be more like her. And even until the time that we graduated from high school, uh, we, we had four choices in my family uh, for what we were going to do after high school. It was uh, army, Navy, air force or Marines. And uh, my sister chose the Navy, <laughs> and so <laughs> I chose the Navy too because yes. she did. And thank she you said, for your service, by the way. Thank <laughs> you for your service. Oh, you're you're very welcome. You're very welcome. It has been my pleasure, actually, being a veteran. I feel so blessed 
but I did everything that she wanted to do. And then by the time I was out there in the real world um, on my own, I began to realize that I just didn't really have an identity for my own and one that I could call myself because I've been chasing somebody else's identity for so long. And that went for years. It, it went on into um, when I was uh, married, when I, she got married, so I got married and for the wrong reason. And it didn't turn out very well at all. And so I left um, my husband at the time and I um, raised my two children. So for the next 11 years, I was a single mom. And initially, while I was trying to transition, I, um, I had to go on welfare to get me started. And while I was going to college, I was trying to work and be a single mom and trying to live. All this time, instead of positive labels or titles, I heard from others, uh, some family members, some people I didn't even know, the negative titles that come along with trying to transition and get on your feet. The single mom, um, what, what does that look like from somebody who is not a single mom that has a family and they live the perfect lifestyle at the time they called it the nuclear family? I wasn't that. I was different. I was a welfare woman. I was a, a government scammer. It was awful. At school, when I went to college, I was a grant recipient instead of a scholarship recipient. There's difference right. there. Right. Um, and I started noticing as I went further into my education, which um, I ended up uh, absolutely loving education and higher education. And a, a lovely woman, my mentor at the time, Val Clark, she gave me a break to teach, be a student teacher, and I fell in love with it. And I taught for the next 10 years at the colleges and then um, earned my master's degree while I was teaching as a student teacher um, and earned my master's in English. And I loved to write. So this whole time I was um, going through this process, uh, still trying to find out who I was, just falling into the next job and, the, and trying to raise kids and pay bills and transition from welfare to being self-sufficient. And I did. And I was proud of myself, but then I felt like, well, I couldn't have done it on my own. I had to use somebody else. I had to use the government. So negative, negative self-talk. And that just kind of continued on. And I thought about it later. Actually, I thought about it pretty recently, too, when I was filling out a form for a, a, a job and it said, are you a veteran? I said, yes. Are you a combat veteran or wartime veteran? No. So what that said was you're a veteran, but you're not, you didn't see combat that all of a sudden there were these, uh, the dichotomy that you're a veteran, but you're, you, you didn't see war. You're a faculty member at the university, but you're only an adjunct. You're not a tenured. Right. Right. You're this, but you're not that you're this, but you're not that. And I could do that all day long. Yeah. The labels, the titles, always thinking, well, and, and deep down going, well, who am I? You know, strip myself naked. Yeah, right, who am right, I? Right. And right. I discovered this, and I hate to say it this late in the game, but at about 54 years old, when my father went into dialysis is when I discovered, no, those titles don't matter. I made it where I am today. And by, you know, blessing from God, from my family, 
And it had nothing to do with how I was talking to myself. It had everything to do with who I surrounded myself with, who was in my inner core. And I can say, honestly, that my children are my best friends and they have been there through it all with me. And yeah, I, I am, I feel like I've come full circle, but it didn't happen overnight. It's been a lifetime of chasing this discovery of who I am and getting rid of the negative titles. Yes. And it's just exactly like how we opened up and talked about your dad going through dialysis and how he seeing everybody come in with all different kinds of labels, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, with all different walks of life. And yet there they are all human beings, you know, together getting dialysis and experiencing the same human thing at the same time and having similar reactions. And, and then in the end, he ended up with this community, Yes, just humans being together. And that level of, I think it's, you know, it's so funny. I, I, I'm just so, uh, love this subject and, uh, that we're talking about here and so inspired by it. I'm thinking about vulnerability Mm -hmm. and in the moment of dialysis, there's a vulnerability that's, that's there for everyone. And I feel like that helps take off any type of air or any type of you get more connected because you're more vulnerable. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You're dependent on someone else's expertise. And that, that is something that um, we need to be vulnerable in order to accept help from others. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't be here where I am today if I hadn't have accepted help from maybe someone in a financial aid office or someone in the social worker office who helped me find a path or my mentor that I mentioned who said, Hey, why don't you stand up in front of the class today? You completely being vulnerable and, and saying, okay, I'll try, I'll do this. I'm not a pro at it, but I'm going to step my feet in and see, see if I can do it. And you just do it. And you're trying to um, overcome, but being vulnerable shows that other person out there that, Hey, it's okay. It's okay to be vulnerable. Absolutely. And I have students from all over the world and some are in there um, who are undergrads, who are seniors, who are just, te- you know, testing the waters to see if they want to be in graduate school. Others have not been in school for 30 years. And they're, again, we have youngsters, we have older people, and they're all in there talking about their life experience as it relates to leadership. And vulnerability comes into play a lot. But the, it's just an amazing, I feel honored and privileged to be able to teach this foundations course, because I learn something every day that I'm in the classroom. I learn something new and it helps me. Uh, it grounds me, to be honest, right. grounding. Right. Yeah. And then being able to share those life experiences, because when we let our guards down in that way, then we mm-hmm. are able to really see beyond the surface and share beyond the surface. And I'm thinking about, because this has come up for me pretty much uh, since I moved here to Switzerland, I was trying to figure out how I have such depth in friends that I've met here. So I've been contemplating this for since I moved here five months ago, that Mm -hmm. when you move here, the the spoken language is German here. I don't speak the language yet. I'm working on it. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm trying to converse uh, 
with people. But what I did notice is that the it's exactly what you're talking about. You, you take all the labels away of who I am mm -hmm. and what I achieved in the US, right? And now I arrive in Switzerland where I don't know the language. I'm as vulnerable as you can possibly imagine just getting on the train, just going to the next stop, you know, just those basic things, making sure I don't get lost. Yes. I, I am 1000% present and human here. And what's interesting is that that because of that the, mm -hmm. the people that i've met along the way who have also experienced this or are experiencing this it's really like how are you today who, you know you know we we talk about like with our finger on the pulse of of how we're doing you know we're in a mm -hmm. pandemic we you know right. we're in a foreign country with a different a mother tongue than mine and you know so it's a as, as vulnerable as you can possibly get and it goes yes. it's right to what you're talking about today melissa which is you know allowing myself to let go of my own titles do you know what i'm saying because yes i'm like well do, do you know what I did in the U.S.? Do you know what I, you know, all the things I accomplished? And, you know, <laughs> you, know you have that little voice in your head that's just like, Yes. <laughs> I traveled the world. I know, I know this. I tra I've traveled or um, I've learned another language. This, I, I know how to do this. But, you know, it, none of that matters because you're, like you said, you're being present. And that's what matters. And that's honestly, that's what people will remember, how present you are. They're not going to remember what you, those things that you said or did, or um, yes. they're going to remember that you're right there with them in, in whatever they're experiencing at the same time. Yeah. Such a fascinating conversation out. Well, honestly, I could talk to you all day uh, about this. Um, so, but we should move into St. Elmo's Fire and how your story resonates with the song. Well, he uh, seems that he is a man in motion. And I believe that that has been me my whole life. I've been a man in motion, constantly changing and moving and adapting and, and um, trying to fit in. Again, this starts way back when I was a child. I went to nine different schools growing up. We moved all over. My father was a salesman. We moved, we moved. I was constantly changing my identity or trying to fit into different places again adding to that loss of like, who am I really? Because I've adapted everywhere I go. And then, um, but always having that constant unit of my family was great. So just being that man in motion, and that's was me going into the Navy and then going to college and all of those things of becoming a mom, single mom, and constantly moving, moving, moving and changing jobs and doing something different and trying something new. So that's how the song really kind of stuck out to me. Uh, but at the very end, um, or actually in the middle, it says, um, you know, in some way you're a lot like me, you're just a prisoner and you're trying to break free. That resonated with me because um, we are kind of our worst enemies sometimes. Yes. Yeah. And, and breaking free of, of what you think you should be or mm -hmm. the labels that we feel define us. And yes. um, yeah, so fascinating. So fascinating. Now, this is the part of the show where we go into strengths and identifying strengths. Uh-huh. And then we use the VIA Strengths Assessment, which was created by Peterson and Seligman and is rooted in positive psychology. Yeah. We have 24 character strengths that are us to our core. 
And we have some that we use more often um, and that are more prevalent than others. So when you take the VIA mm-hmm. Strengths Assessment audience, um, when you take this, you will get your 24 strengths ranked in order and you'll see your top strengths. So, um, and, and those are usually the strengths that are most prevalent with you, who you are to your core, but then also, you know, ones that you may lean into a little bit more than others. And so my question is to you, Melissa, what are your uh, top five strengths? And I've got them here if you need, if you need them too. My top five strengths, I'm really proud of these because I don't believe this would have been the case maybe even five or six years ago. Um, But uh, kindness is number one. And that just, I'm grateful that that came out. Um, Number two was humility. And three is appreciation of beauty and excellence, Mm -hmm. honesty. And the last one, uh, number five was love. Love. Yes. And then you had gratitude coming right underneath that one, which is you have such a beautiful, and you've got forgive, forgiveness. I was looking at your strengths and I was like, wow, you've got a beautiful package of strengths. And anyway, so with kindness, that is really about uh, generosity, nurturance, care, compassion, altruism, and niceness. Um, what's cool about kindness is um, it really helps buffer against stress and uh, trauma. Mm-hmm. So by practicing uh, kindness, if you're stressed out, it really does help buffer those uh, negative feelings of stress. So kindness is, is a wonderful strength to have. It also, what I love about kindness, it's um, kindness toward oneself. So if you look at kindness toward oneself can have numerous benefits, including optimism, mm-hmm. uh, social connectedness, goal mastery, uh, less anxiety, self-criticism, and less perfectionism. So uh, this is all coming from Dr. Nemec's book, uh, Via Strengths uh, Interventions. And uh, it's really fascinating, the research that has been done on this and how wonderful kindness uh, is, and especially to have yours number one. The next one was humility, and that's modesty. That one, um, actually, this one hasn't come up 52 episodes. Uh, this is our 52nd. And Humility isn't one that comes up very often. And true enough, I, when I looked at the research, it's one that's, that is not as common. And, uh, but humility is, it really helps uh, strengthen social bonds. So humility is someone who's modest, who's really looking out, um, you know, cares for other people and has a very accurate self-assessment um, as well. Mm-hmm. Appreciation of beauty and excellence. I love that's such a great strength. Um, it's being true for that one. It's about um, recognizing uh, the beauty in others. Uh, that in, in that strength is also altruism. You're going to find that recognizing beauty mm-hmm. in other people, recognizing uh, also how much work people put into things. Then we have honesty, which is being true to yourself and authentic to others allows for very also uh, accurate self-assessment. And then finally, you're in your top five is love facilitates empathy, uh, tolerance and forgiveness in relationships, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, that's, that's uh, amazing strength to have as well. So wh- what a beautiful package. How do you think you've leaned into those when throughout your life, um, and then also how you currently, you know, uh, exercise them today? I think uh, some of those 
come strengths come from uh, watching and being raised by very loving parents, by very loving parents and kind parents and generous parents. Um, but it also just comes from having been, I think, knocked down so many times and kind of being grounded in uh, reality of, of the human being and how we are in the social, our social atmosphere and just having a empathy for others, having been there, um, walking in their shoes. And uh, I think a lot of that has helped me uh, having that upbringing of kindness and love and appreciation for beauty that I did when I was being raised really helped me to get through those tough times because um, I never thought that somebody else was greater than another. That's how I felt of others. It's not always how I felt about myself. And that's why I was constantly chasing because there was a part of me that didn't feel like I was good enough, even when we were all down at you know the office trying to uh, qualify for aid, I always felt like I didn't deserve to be there. That that wasn't that that those people needed it more than I. I never felt like I was in. Yep. I was there. So I think when the reality of having gone through all of that really does did bring out the humility. Um, it gave me empathy and recognizing that loving other people for no matter no matter who they are or what their experiences are uh, we're really all walking through that same door yes. and we're all the same and we're all the same yeah yes yeah. yes yes just like all of people walking yeah. in for dialysis like you had mentioned you know, yes earlier. you know given all of your experience and all of your titles <laughs> What action item or homework would you give um, our audience? It's something that I had students practice a long time ago when I used to teach in the classroom. And that was to kind of uh, s- sit down and write, write on one column, put, make, make a column and write down all your labels. What are your titles? You know, I'm a, I'm a sister, I'm a mother, I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor, I'm a whatever you are. Write all of those things down over on one side. And then on the other side, what are the behaviors that define being a mother? What are the behaviors? What are the, uh, and that in, in that exercise, when you're finding the behaviors, then you're able to write a paragraph about who you are, not what you are. Uh. To kind of separate out the what from the who. And in that paragraph, you're able to really um, design a, a person who comes out of who of the behaviors that come out of those titles and strip the titles away. So I would encourage people to, to make the column and to, to, to write down all of the titles that you've given yourself and all the behaviors that on the other side that define those. And then, and then just write about who you are from those behaviors, because that's where you're going to find, find out who you are. Love that. That is such a brilliant, brilliant exercise. We have our marching orders um, from Melissa, and we will uh, we will do that. And then uh, you know, let us know how it goes. You know, send us a send us a message and um, and let us know what your experience is like. So this is the part of the show where we get to talk about '80s trends. Um, but before we do that, I want our audience uh, to be able to get a hold of you. What uh, is your title on uh, LinkedIn? On LinkedIn, it's 
It's Melissa Sussman, but in parentheses is Loudon. That's my former last name. And it's L-O-W-D-O-N. And that is where most of my publication, uh, that's where most of my publications uh, can be found under Melissa Loudon, including my dissertation, which um, I was extremely proud of. Uh, But so if you wanted to take a look at the dissertation, it's about the future of Jesuit higher education. I'm I'm a firm believer in Jesuit education, and it really does kind of uh, fit with all of my strengths, actually. I might just write a little blog about that. Um, you're pretty soon. I was in the Jesuit volunteer corps. Did I tell you? Did you know that? No, no. no. And I went to a Jesuit uh, college called Spring Hill College. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, so. I, I, I can relate to, to your uh, educational background for sure. Yes. I also am a, 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 a personal and executive coach and I own my own business called uh, InSource Coaching. So they can find me there. Mm-hmm. InSource Coaching. Got it. And we'll put that in the show notes as well so they can get a hold of you. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. So now's the part where we get to talk about 80s trends. Tell us a little bit about the trends you enjoyed and then Mm -hmm. if you have a favorite jingle. Oh, oh, my jingle. I wonder if I'm going to forget my jingle that I wrote down. But um, I was all about, and I kind of still am makeup, and but the frosty makeup. That was me. I, I wore it with uh, lots of pride, uh, big frosty makeup. So my yes. eyes were like headbeams. Hair yes. was huge. I have a very thick hair. Beautiful it used to be figure. curly, but it was standing up pretty high. I think I have a picture of it about six inches high. Yes. Um, so that was me. Um, and uh, I wore a lot of leggings and yeah. That's fabulous. There's love a fro- <laughs> I love a frosted lip and, you know, oh, some yeah. frosted eyeshadow. That's, that's good stuff. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember the jingle that I put down. Oh, what, Dr. Pepper. Dr. I used Pepper. To, yeah. And yes. that may have been in the 70s, but. Um, I'm a pepper, you're a pepper. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that kind of fits with the whole title thing, you know. It Wouldn't sure you like does. to pick peppers? Well, thank you again for sharing your story, picking an amazing song. And um, until next time. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We want to hear from you. First of all, tell us how these totally rad stories have inspired you. If you have a story with an 80s song inspiration, we want to hear it. You think this podcast is like totally tubular? Well, we would love your review. Stay connected with us on Podopolo and download the app today. Visit me at www.patriciafreiberg.com. Thank you, and we look forward to a double boost of inspiration next Motivational Music Monday.